My construction business in uh, September 2001. Um, for those of you who remember, it was hot times. Uh, business was cranking through 2008 when the brakes were put on. And uh, we were caught with a large inventory of 23 spec homes and probably 250 uh, buildable lots. I went from having a phenomenal income and a good place to stay, nice cars. And in 2008, which was about one year after I was saved, I lost everything I owned. We got kicked out of our home in March 2009, lost my car, and then they came and got my truck and they took our cabin up in the mountains. And we had absolutely nothing left. The pressure for me and my family was tremendous, but especially for, for me. I mean, you know how mail operates and, and the pride and the, the things. And now, all of a sudden, it was in the newspaper that the George Hoys were losing their, their um, house, lost tremendous business relationships, because we used to be best friends with bankers and, and so on and so forth, and now we were pretty much enemies, and there was nothing left. There was... There was nothing left. My business partner, actually, I, I learned later, he committed suicide with three teenage kids. Well, with all this mess and, and my new Christian lifestyle and, and the, the hopes and the dreams that I had been given through mostly my, my wife, who happened to be a Christian. I hadn't been around many Christians before. Uh, I had been envisioned this beautiful... Uh, carefree, loving, awesome God in my corner. And just like Job, I was terrified. I was terrified. And I, I, I asked and I questioned and, and I was seeking and I was, I, I was screaming. I was wondering, what, what was it that I did? What is it in my life that you're not pleased with? Why are you, why are you targeting me? Why are you pounding on me? This is me talking to God. Um, not looking inward at myself at all. I was just, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I strongly considered to throw in the towel on this Christian walk many, many times. Two, two key things, and I've repeated this a hundred times to other people. I had a good Christian wife, and God spoke to me <clears throat> on my absolute worst day. He actually spoke to me. And I can show you where I was. I had to pull over uh, because it was so strong, because I felt it was me against the world. Every phone call was a creditor just pounding, trying to get paid, and there was nothing here. So the pressures were insane. But that day, I'll never forget it. I had 76 cents in the bank. I don't think we had groceries. It was amazing. And God just said, hey man, I got this. And Barbie started a new business, <clears throat> selling sheets. And I thought I was still in the construction business. And I didn't know it was gone. And she got busier and busier and it ended up where I couldn't even talk to her. I was like, you gotta do something here. And she goes, I'm gonna hire somebody. And I go right here. 
Hire me, please. You never, ever, ever have to pay me a nickel. Just get me out of the construction business. Which it did, and it's been the best hire she ever made. Oh, the trust in God uh, with the whole situation. I mean, it's it changed not just the, the family, not just my relationship with my wife and my children, not just my Christian walk, but the way I do business. I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing is done without prayer, without reaching out to God, without listening to God, without his input. Because every time I get in the middle and I try to drive it, which is my personality, you can ask my kids, that's my personality. Every time I do it, I screw it up. The, the one thing we're good at is making mistakes and, and making wrong decisions. So listen to God, and he's, he's, He wants to talk to us. Let's start the day by talking to God and, and, and ask for guidance. And, and uh, we're, we're going to be equipped when the valleys come, because they're coming. Wow. Isn't that powerful? There was so much that got left out of that because of time uh, of that interview that we did last week. Um, one of the things I was, one, that didn't make it into the editing, if they made $10 in a week, if they made $10, Barbie was, was putting in a dollar. She was tithing. She ne- Eddie said, I couldn't even watch. <laughs> I couldn't even watch. I was like, okay, whatever. He couldn't even watch her do it. But they continued to be faithful in their giving and their generosity. And Eddie, you just have to, he's a generous person. And uh, this was just such a difficult thing. But they're no longer in that situation. God has been faithful. And that business that Barbie started of sheets, selling sheets online, has exploded and now led to many other things. And it's just an amazing thing. And we're going to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're in week four of this series called The Good Book. If you're visiting today, your guest, let me just also tell you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. There's a lot of great churches, and we're glad that you're with us. If you're watching online, we're glad that you are with us. But this series, The Good Book, is basically a, a balcony view of the whole thing, of beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation, kind of how the dots are connected from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how it tells one story And last week we talked about when life gets messy, and we're going to take that even farther and go even deeper today. And as I began studying for this talk, this is a difficult message. Let me just warn you ahead of time, but there's there's hope in, in there as well. But it's not an easy message, and I knew that I needed a story. I needed a testimony, and I immediately thought of Eddie and Barbie and what they had been through. Uh, if you don't know Eddie, he's one of our elders now, and he's also one of our greeters. You've probably shaken his hand if you've been here any length of time. You, you can't really avoid him if, if you try. He's out there. He's bigger than life. And he also serves in our community serve outreach as well. Um, he's in Norway right now. That's where he's from. He's in Norway visiting family today. But I'm just so thankful that he was willing to sit down and to share that. Aren't you? Isn't that wonderful? Um, before we go to the Bible, I want to, this is too good to just pass up. I want to pull a couple things, what he said, out of that. But let me, let me pray first. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your peace would just fall right here. 
I already sense your presence in a powerful way. But right now, I pray that your word would become alive and active and it would become prophetic and powerful and helpful and healing in our moments together today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to I look at a quote he says there at the beginning. It says, he says, as a one-year-old Christian, I envision this beautiful, carefree, loving, awesome God in my corner. And just like Job, when things fell apart, I was terrified. So here, as a non-Christian man, he's making money hand over foot in his construction business. He gives his heart to the Lord and a year later loses everything. That just doesn't fit in our American paradigm, our American version of Christianity, does it? It just doesn't fit. It just, how, how does that work? God is supposed to be this God of blessing. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, then everything will be all right. But folks, let me tell you something that's dangerous thinking. And that is a works-based gospel. The gospel of Jesus is not about what we do. It's about what he did. So when we go down that road of thinking that it's anything about what we do, it gets dangerous. And when tragedy does strike, when something bad does happen, it leads to confusion and doubt and fear, and our faith gets shipwrecked. We don't know what to do with a God that would allow these things to happen. Our one-sided faith that's just victory only is incomplete, and it leaves us alone to suffer. Eddie was terrified that he had done something wrong. He, he uses the word targeted. He felt like God was targeting him because of something that he might have done. And when we think, come on, be honest, that's the way we sometimes, our knee-jerk reaction when something bad happens, we're like, what did I do? What is God punishing me for? And the enemy, when we start thinking that way, has a field day. And he just starts throwing gas on the fire. More guilt, more condemnation, more confusion, more shame. It's your fault, is what he says. And that leaves us ready to give up, which is what Eddie says next. Look at the screen. I strongly considered throwing in the towel in this Christian wall. Have you felt that way before? You don't have to raise your hands. If everybody was honest, every hand would probably go up. I mean, come on. You give your heart to the Lord and things start going south? <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Why am I even doing this? Why am I even trying? If it's going to be like this. But notice Eddie said that there were two things, two key things that held his faith. First was his wife, Barbie, Christian woman, who continued to make a stand for Christ and her faith. And let me, let, me, let me tell you something, what happened? For a season, everybody say season. For a season, she had faith for both of them. For a season, she had faith for both of them. We all get to a place where we need help. We all have seasons that we go through where we need people who are strong in their faith to come alongside of us and to help us and hold us up. 
Everybody look at me real quickly. If we want our faith to not just survive and not just limp by, but we want it to thrive, we need each other. Come on, we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ is connected. We cannot give up gathering together. Now listen, I love the online thing. I love the blessing that the online, hello everybody online, we're glad that you are here. But I'm telling you, if you're not in the Atlanta area, if you're somewhere else, you need to find a local Bible-believing church. We want you to still watch us too. But find a Bible-believing church and get plugged in. The church means ekklesia. That's the Greek word. And it means the gathering. We need each other. You need a faith community. You cannot do Christianity in the woods by yourself. You cannot be isolated and walk in faith. If somebody told you that, I'm sorry, they were misguided. I hear it all the time. I'll just go off on Sunday in the woods and just commune with God. There's nothing wrong with going off in the woods and communing with God. The problem is you're not getting everything you need. We need each other because we're the body of Christ and the body of Christ is connected. We need to stay connected in Jesus' name. Somebody give him praise. (laughs) Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the, what? The habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching that the writer of Hebrews all the way back 2,000 years ago knew the dangers of getting in the habit of missing the gathering. That the more you do it, the easier it is the next time to miss. The more you do it, the easier it is the next time to sleep in or go to the lake or do whatever. None of those things are bad. Come on, we have an 1115 service. Sleep in if you want to. (laughs) You want to go to the lake? Come to the 930 and go to the lake. Come on, folks. You hear what I'm saying? We need this. And we actually need to go one step further and get into a smaller group of Christians who can hold each other accountable so we don't fall through the cracks. That's what Pastor Cody was talking about with our small groups, we're the body of Christ. And we need each other. Why? Because in those moments of crisis, in those moments of pain and loss, we need our support system. This time it might be you. Next time it might be me. Hallelujah. The second thing that Eddie said that got him through is that on his worst day, he said, how many know that God's rarely early? (laughs) He's rarely early, but he's never late. On his worst day, 76 cents in the bank, every bit of pressure falling on him, creditors calling, the worst possible moment, lost everything, God spoke to him. He had to pull to the side of the road. It was so powerful. And he's in tears. He's crying out to God, and God says, I've got this. I've got you. Now, that's wonderful, but it wasn't over yet. Somebody say amen. He had to make a decision. Eddie had a decision to make. Was he going to believe the word and receive the word that he, that he got from God? Was he going to do anything about it? And of course he did. And the key to this whole thing here, and we're going to talk about our character in a minute, is trusting God. 
even when you can't see it, even when you can't see the outcome, the possible outcome is trusting God in the middle of every circumstance. And he said, trust in God changed everything. His marriage, his family, his kids, the way he does business, everything. Did you hear what he said? He doesn't do anything without consulting and praying to God first. No decision is made without talking. He said, we're good at messing it up. And as long as I try to do it on my own, that's what I do. I mess it up. All right, let's move on to our Bible character. Besides, you know, we're not just going to preach about Eddie. Appreciate him, but let's look at the word, and we're going to look at the story of Job. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> How uplifting, Pastor. Let's talk about Job. Even if you're not a Bible person, you've heard the name Job because his life is so extraordinary and extraordinarily difficult. The level of pain and loss and suffering that he experienced is at a level that we can't even understand, we can't even comprehend. We've all experienced pain at, at some level or another, but it's, it was just a piece of what he did. He, he went through everything bad that we can possibly imagine. Now, the book itself begins with a description of Job. He's described as a man with complete integrity. He loved God. He was going after God. He was a godly man, and he turned away from evil. The Bible says he was the greatest man among the people of the East. Now, I don't know who was living in the West, but among the people of the East, he was the man, and he was, he was wealthy. He had it all. He had thousands of valuable animals like oxen and sheep and camels. He had massive amounts of land, beautiful homes, servants, and ten children. He had it made. He had all the things we dream about having. But in a moment, in just a few moments, he lost it all. He lost every bit of it. Now here we are again in this difficult scenario of a godly man, not a man living in sin, a godly man who loses everything. On a day that started out like any... How many know that tragedy doesn't care if it's a beautiful day? Or if it's a calm day? Or if it's a, you know, you're fixing to go do something? His morning, his beautiful morning, his calm morning was shattered when a servant ran in and told him that there had been a raid from the north and that many of his animals, most of his animals had been killed and many of his servants killed as well. That servant was still talking when another one ran in and told him that there had been a horrible fire and that all of his sheep had been burned up. And with the sheep, a lot of the workers had been burned up as well. And then that one is just finishing. And another one runs in with the worst news possible. All ten of his children were in the same house and were killed because of a freak natural disaster like a tornado or something that destroyed the home and it collapsed on them and they were all killed. We've, we've all heard this story, but have you really stopped to consider it and how you would honestly even cope or feel? We need to understand something here right off the bat. God did not cause this to happen. God did not send this tragedy, but God did clearly allow it. He allowed it. 
This was an attack, an all-out attack from the enemy. We know that. Job didn't. But God allowed this attack from the enemy to come. It wasn't to punish Job. It wasn't to humble him. It was to test his faith. What Job doesn't know is that there had been a conversation between God and Satan. And God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's the finest, most godly man, God-fearing man in the world. He praises my name every day. He worships me. And Satan says, well, of course he does. Of course he does. He's rich. He's got it all together. He's got children. He's got money. He's got land. He's got homes. He's got everything's going good for him. If you take that away, he will curse you to your face. God said, okay. I'll allow you to attack him, but not kill him. Now, we all experience pain and suffering at some level or another. There's actually four different types of pain and suffering that we can experience. Physical pain, amen? Physical pain, I experienced that a few weeks ago in Israel, for those of you who know that, with my ankle. You know when that doctor says, uh, tell me how the pain is from one to ten, right? Well, in that moment that my ankle touched the ground, ten, okay? Physical pain, okay? We all have been there. We've all experienced that to some level or another, Emotional pain, going through a divorce, the loss of a job, a bankruptcy, something like that. Emotional pain, mental pain, mental anguish, depression, anxiety, fear, mental health issues, insomnia. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Anxiety. And then there's external pain. When somebody doesn't know where their next meal is coming, they're hungry. They don't have clean water. They're living in poverty. But here's what we know. Look at the screen. Suffering of any kind, any of these areas, becomes particularly hard to bear whenever it seems endless, when there's no date, when there's no time, when it's chronic, when there's no hope in sight, no relief in sight. Now, come on. God made us strong, didn't he? Amen? God made the human being strong. And we can take a lot. But it's usually in short doses, right? When there, my point is when chronic pain can lead to loss of hope. Chronic pain is different. Help me. Rachel, come here and help me. Come here, quick, quick. I'm just totally embarrassed. Come on, come on, come on, quick. This is what you get to do when you have kids in ministry. Totally freak them out. I want you to hold this out straight, just like that, all right? Now, in one hour, I know I'm just kidding. Um, just hold it out. Now, is that hard to do? No. It's not hard. But in five minutes, what do you think is going to happen? My arm's going to get tired. It's going to get tired. Now, that right there, what she's doing right there is so easy just to hold out. Every one of us in the room could do that. But in five minutes, it's going to be hurting. And then in an hour, she's going to be screaming and crying for help. And listen, if she was able to keep this up for 24 hours, she would require hospitalization. It's proven. Her arm would be completely messed up, her shoulder. Thank you, babe. Wonderful. (laughs) She's going to get me later. Okay. The point is that chronic pain can lead to a loss of hope when there's no end date, when there's no relief in sight. Look at the screen. When we lose hope, we we lose the will to live. 
This is proven scientifically around the world, whatever culture, doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you are. When we lose hope, we lose the will to live. But let me tell you something. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Not just life, eternal life in heaven. I'm talking about abundant life right now. Right now. And I'm telling you, that's the difference. Everybody say difference. That's the difference between a person of faith in Jesus and an atheist or somebody in the world. That's the difference between us. Let me tell you, it's the hope of glory. Come on, the Bible never tells us that we will have a pain-free life. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, no, you will experience trial. You will experience difficult circumstances, but take heart, take hope, because I have already overcome the world. And if you have me in you, you can overcome as well. Come on, we have the hope of glory. We have the hope of a Savior who will never leave us and never forsake us. He will go through everything with us, and that is the the difference that we have. We have hope even in the most difficult of circumstances. Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I love Isaiah 43.2. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Give him praise for his word. Hallelujah. We have hope. Even if you are experiencing chronic pain in some area, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, there is hope in Christ. There is healing. There is hope. Please hear me today. We have the hope of glory in Jesus. All right, so the question, the big question or whatever is, does the Bible give us answers to these circumstances, these these, these crazy things that just don't fit our perception and our thought when we think of God, we think of life as a Christian? Does the Bible answer the one big question that we all have, that Eddie had, that Job had? He, he, Job asked, asked this question 27 times. What's the big question we all have when something bad happens? Why? Why? A man named John Cavanaugh wanted to meet, this is back in the day, wanted to meet Mother Teresa. This was in the height of her fame over there. Of course, she didn't care. She was just over there doing her thing, living in, in, in poverty, taking care of people with leprosy in Calcutta, India, the bottom of the bottom. Of course, you know, everybody knows the name of Mother Teresa because of what her ministry was. He wanted to meet her, and the only way to meet her and get time with her was to go to her and to work alongside her. She wouldn't even give you an audience without working. I like that. So he goes and he works alongside of her and finally he gets some time with her and she says, John, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want you to pray for me. And she said, okay, what do you want me to pray about? And he said, well, there's been some things that have happened tragically in my life and I would like some answers. I would like clarity. I would like clarity. And also, I don't really know what I'm going to do with my life and I need clarity. 
And she looked him right in the eyes. Everybody look up here. She looked him right in the eyes, and she said, nope. <laughs> nope. Not going to do it. He's like, what? You won't pray that I'll have clarity and have answers? And she said, nope. I will not. Look what she said. Look at the screen. I have never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. She told him, no, I will not pray for you to get all the answers and to get all the clarity and to dot every I and cross every T. I will not pray, but I will pray that you learn to trust God in every circumstance, whether you get the answer here on earth, you get the clarity that you need or want or not. Because think about Mother Teresa a second and what she watched all day long. What she saw all day long. She saw suffering and pain every single day of her life. Her whole life was dedicated to relieving and helping people going through suffering and pain that is unimaginable to us. And we're over here, oh Lord, I just want some clarity. (laughs) Y'all, this is hard for me. I'm, I'm, I'm like, clarity is so important to, I spend hours on these messages to make sure they are clear. And God spoke to me. I was like, God, how am I going to preach this when this is so important to me? We were just at a conference this week, the staff and myself, and they talked about the importance of clarity. It was like the session. And I knew what I was about to preach. And here's what God, and I didn't get this in the notes because it was already done, but God, if you want to write this down, clarity is not a bad thing. It's just not the most important thing. Clarity is not a bad thing. It's just not the most important thing. We might think the answers and clarity will get us through, but they will not. Look at the screen. The most powerful response to suffering is trust. The most powerful response to suffering is is trust, not clarity. The key to overcoming the most painful moments of our lives is learning to trust God rather than the answers we think we need. Job didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. He wasn't privy to that conversation between God. and you know He never found out about that. Read the book. When God finally did speak, it wasn't about that. We may never get the answers on this side. And that's why we have to trust God as well. God sees the end from the beginning. We only see certain things. But he sees it all. And that's why we have to trust him. That's why we have to trust him. Job's initial response to this horrific tragedy is profound. Look in Job 121. You've probably heard this before. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now his trust here is bold, but it's not completely blind. Why? Everybody look. He already had a relationship with God going. He already was walking daily with the Father. He already had some trust built up with him. Trust does not come overnight. If we want to respond anywhere near how Job did initially with this suffering, we have to also be walking with God on a daily basis. Trust is built through relationship, 
Look at the screen. Trust is built through relationship. That goes for any relationship in your life. Come on, you know it. I don't trust a mechanic that I don't know to work on my car. Somebody say amen. Amen. I said it this morning because I saw him sitting over here. I trust Jason Garman to work on my car because he goes here and we built a relationship and he's taking care of me. Every time one of my girls wrecks one of my cars, he takes care of it. Every time it breaks down, he takes care of it. Sarah, lock your keys in the car. I'm, I'm, I'm really getting it today. Sarah, you locked your keys in the car. He was over there in 15 minutes getting the door open. I trust that. We had a relationship. Come on, somebody. It has to be the same with God. Y'all pray for me. They're going to be mad at me later. All right. Here's the other side of the coin. He responds this way. He responds, blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what, blessed be the name of the Lord. But then time begins to set in. Then reality begins to, come on. Have you ever noticed that when when you go to a a funeral, a tragic, tragic situation, and you're kind of amazed how the family's doing? But then later on you hear about things falling apart. It's because time, you know, they're numb at first. So time begins to to settle in and, 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 and desperation. And then the questions start. The same one we ask. He asks, why? Why did this happen? And then his friends come. How many know the story? Then his friends begin to show up and begin messing with him, messing with his head. They're convinced that he's done something wrong and is being punished. Come on, you got to come clean with this thing. Listen, folks, if you know somebody who's going through the trial of their life, who've just experienced great loss or pain or is going through suffering, the best thing you can do for them is shut up. Be there and pray. And keep your mouth shut. When they want to talk, they will let you know. And then guess what you should do? Shut up and listen. Don't open your mouth unless the Holy Spirit just absolutely moves on you and then you'd better be sure. Keep your mouth shut and just listen to them as they pour out their heart. Be ready to hug them. Be ready to love on them. Be ready to pray for them. I'm telling you some good advice. This is what we need to do. This is not what Job's friends did. They tried to tell him there's some secret saying there's something going on. You've got to take care of it. Job wasn't being punished. God was not suddenly out to get him. And listen, his situation, he he had not sinned. But even if we sin, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God is not suddenly out to get us. He's not up in heaven with a lightning bolt getting ready to throw it. He's not mad. Folks, this is not the Old Testament, okay? This is not where the prophet is angry because of the fire of God coming. We have a mediator. We have one who stands between God and ourselves. He's a man, Christ Jesus. God is not mad at you, but sin breaks his heart because it breaks you. Amen. If we're suffering because of sin... He is suffering as well. Come on, we need to understand that sin does invite pain and suffering sometimes into our lives. If you commit adultery, you could ruin your family. If you steal, it's likely you could go to jail. 
If you become a drug addict and, and put these drugs in your body, it's going to harm your body. If you eat pizza and cheeseburgers and donuts at every meal, you will gain weight. I put that one in there for me. That's just one of my struggles. Come on. There are natural consequences to our actions and to our sin. But God did not cause them, and he's not mad at you. We've got to change our thinking. Because of Jesus Christ, there is grace available and healing. When we suffer because of sin, God suffers because he loves us. Now, as this story of Job progresses, even after his wife comes and tells him to just curse God and die, even after his friends come and mess with him, Job finally exchanges the wrong question for the right one. Are you listening? He stops asking God why, or or the question why, and starts asking who. Who can help me? Who can deliver me? Who can rescue me? So from Job's story, we learn another big idea of the Bible. It's on the screen. God cares deeply about our pain and suffering, but he cares more about our soul. He cares deeply. I want you to hear that. He cares deeply about what you're going through, but he cares more about your soul. He knows that our pain and suffering are temporary, but our soul will live on. He also knows that things that we go through build our faith and our character, and that is what we need to make it. And we don't need half a faith that's just all about victory and not about difficulty. We need a whole faith. Look at the screen. A whole faith believes God for the impossible but remains strong in the face of adversity. That's the kind of faith that you need. That's the kind of faith that I need. I know this is not the most uplifting, most wonderful type of sermon, but it's needed. Listen to me. Any teaching... Any doctrine of Christianity that excludes suffering cheapens the work of Jesus Christ. It makes a mockery of the cross and what he did. And it leaves us with a faith that is incomplete. Because the valleys, like Eddie said, the valleys will come. We are living in a sin-sick world. And because of evil and because of the problem of sin and because of Satan being on the move and being active, we're behind enemy lines and bad things do happen to good people. And with half of faith, we will not be prepared for it. I know this is tough and I take your silence as hopefully you're thinking about that and praying about that and not that you just want to race to the door and get out of here. I know this is hard. But a teaching of Christianity that leaves this part out is incomplete. I want you to know the key to this whole thing, the key to this whole thing is trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct 
your past. There are so many things that happen in this life that we will never have all the details. We will never have all the answers. And if listen, 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 if we continue to lean towards those things and search for those things over and over, we get closer and closer to this abyss and eventually we will fall in and it will affect and shipwreck our faith. We have to lean towards God. There's only two responses. There's only two responses to pain and suffering and tragedy, and that is to run to God or away. And I am begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm preaching about running to God because he loves you this morning. Lean toward the Savior and not away. Lean not on your own understanding, but on him. Do you realize that Jesus on his last week on earth, that last passion week, experienced all four of those areas of pain? All four. To a degree that we can't even imagine. Why? So that he could be familiar with your pain. So that he could be right there in the midst of whatever you are going through and understand exactly what you're going through and be there for you. 